G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The Story In thinking they were doing well, my parents were raising us by pointing out all the stuff we were not doing well. And so you you don't realise as a parent when you do that how much it affects the self-esteem and and the confidence of a kid. And I got very affected by it. And so I felt very worthless. I felt that I was a burden and that everyone would be better off without me. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, Corinne Peregrini is half Italian and half French and was born in the little principality of Monaco on the French Riviera. She came from a loving family, yet as she entered her teen years, she reached the point where she wanted to end her life. What would make a young 12-year-old girl feel so worthless that she felt the world would be better off without her? We'll find out today as Corinne shares her story with Karen Hunt. You're originally from the French Riviera, you were telling me. So more specifically, share with our listeners, where exactly were you born and what was life like for you as little Corinne? Well, I have to say I've been very blessed. I was born in the Principality of Monaco, which is on the French Riviera, right next to the Italian border. But I'm I'm not from Monaco, from a little town called uh, Roquebrun Cap Martin. <laughs> and um, yeah, was born there in a family half French, half Italian, um, who own a, a small hotel. I was very privileged to be uh, very much loved and uh, never missed anything materially and taught uh, Christian value, even though, you know, um, no one was a Christian or church goer except for my great grandmother. Yeah, so I was, you know, uh, a good life. Siblings? Yeah, one older brother. I don't have a great deal of memory before the age of 12, I have to say, and it's been a challenge throughout my life. But what I remember is I grew up in a hotel, so it's not glamorous. It was just a family hotel, you know, nothing, you know, four-star or anything. And uh, living in a hotel, you know, in a bedroom next to my parents and, uh, you know, being told, you know, this is not your home. You know, you've got to remember the client come first and, uh, you know, very restricted in a lot of way because you live in, in the business. My parents were too busy to really, um, you know, wonder where we were. And, you know, it's that generation. They work really hard to provide for their family and, and um, they loved us very much. But the business always had to come first. What about schooling? How did that fit into um, this? The school system in France is very different than in Australia. The French culture, I suppose, is very centred on on the Catholic uh, religion because um, that's the way they know Christianity is through the Catholic uh, Church. Uh, so my parents put us through the you know primary Catholic with none. Actually, uh, one of the nuns uh, taught my grandfather so <laughs> to tell you the age of the nun that was teaching us. But um, yeah, so very, very control, always quite a control, you know, uh, more the mind control environment and uh, you know we'll go we'll go it wasn't very far from the hotel and the business so we'll just go there did you get up to much mischief in your high school years in my high school years well when i was uh, 12 years old i i try and end my life 
and that was um, that was just the beginning of high school. So I wasn't in a good place. Uh, I was very fortunate looking back that my mom believed in a very holistic approach to medicine. I've got nothing against uh, medicine, Western medicine, but because of that approach, I never got given, uh, you know, I, I never got into the antidepressant and stuff, and we were dealing with in different ways, which allowed me, it sustained me without, you know, um, being going to psychiatric and stuff like that. Corinne, are you able to give us a little bit of an insight as to what it was you think that led you to that point? Yes, I've had many years to, you know, um, try to understand why, how come, you know, when you're 12, seriously, you know, you're 12 years old, you're still a little girl, even though you're getting to teenager. And like I said, I, I was brought up in a very loving family. Um, it's just that I think sometimes parents don't know how to show that love and they show it in the way that they know, you know, and it might not be the way that as a kid I needed that love to be shown and and that's what it I think um, happened even though I knew from a head level that I was loved from a heart level I didn't feel it mm-hmm. my mom had a very traumatic upbringing so she was not very communicative good listeners but she didn't know how how to communicate and when I look back personally I took I was um, I suppose a person who could feel things very deeply but could not you know, as a kid, you and you feel things, but you don't understand until until an adult voice out in word, put it in word, what it is that you're feeling. And I never had anyone putting in word how I was feeling. And I felt very much that um, my I felt my mom was not happy, and so I felt I took it personally because I felt that um, it's you know it's my fault, you know, and so the seed was planted and the negative and and I think. And look, I can only talk for my family. Um, sometimes I think maybe it is a bit of a French culture thing. Um, you know, negative reinforcement and stuff, raising kids by pointing out the, the positive and the good in them. In thinking they were doing well, my parents were raising us by pointing out all the stuff we were not doing well. And so you, you don't realize as a parent when you do that how much it affects the self-esteem and, and the confidence of a kid. And, and, and again, I think it depends the personality of the child. I got very affected by it. And so I felt very worthless. I felt that I was a burden and that everyone would be better off without me. But... I suppose what really um, stopped me from when I was halfway of trying to kill myself is because I knew how much my mom loved me, even though I didn't feel that love, but I knew it will kill her if that happened. So at 12 years old, I made the decision that to leave at that time. And I said, okay, well, if I'm going to leave... I'm going to be happy. There must have been a feeling of desperation. Oh, definitely, definitely. And uh, it was the beginning of, a, I suppose, a roller coaster for life, dealing with a um, moment of depression, uh, more or less, throughout my life. The way, I suppose, that it impacted me was that I, um, I made the decision to leave. So I actually made a conscious decision. I'm going to stay alive. If I'm going to leave, I'm not going to be like my mom. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to make everything in my power to, to be happy. Um, you know, you say this word, you know, um, when you're 12, but then life takes over and 
you know, started high school and um, never fit in. So, yeah, so I grew up in high school. Um, I had difficulty learning, um, and so I felt very stupid, very... Um, Inadequate? Yeah, uh, I just couldn't follow in high school. And, uh, you know, the French system is very academic. And in those days, and I mean, things changed a lot for the better, thank goodness. But in those days, you know, if you don't fit in the box, then they don't have time for you. And so I couldn't fit in the box. And uh, I was, you know, you, like I think like a lot of comic in the world, you overcome this by by entertaining everyone, being the clown of the class and all that sort of thing. So that was me, you know, sitting at the back next to the heater, next to the window, entertaining everyone, but not really learning anything. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and so I have to... To confess that, yes, I, I did cheat. I did cheat. I did lie to try to, to climb my way up to high school. But then when you get to a point where you can't, that's not sufficient anymore. And in France, that will be the equivalent of grade 10. Then you're given the choice, well, sorry, you're not good enough to go to the next class. So you're going to have to redo your whole grade 10. Or we can offer you to go in a technical school so you can learn a trade. And living and growing up in a hotel, family hotel, I just went, oh my gosh, I felt very shameful. I didn't want to redo my, my grade 10. So I went to uh, the next best thing and learn a diploma in hospitality. And I was very good at it because I was very natural at it. And that was, the, that was amazing. That was the first thing. Never cheated, never lie, and did pass my exam. Fantastic. So that, you know, boosted my confidence. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I was still very lacking that love that I needed. And so I was looking for love in all the wrong places. And... Um, you know, um, a man or boy look at me and I think, oh my gosh, he loves me. You know, I got to marry the guy. <laughs> so that's what happened when I was 16 and um, ended up getting pregnant with um, much older um, men that happened to be a customer of the hotel. I wanted to keep that child, you know, but when you're 16 and that, that year I was due to go to Ireland for two and a half months by myself to to learn English, to for the first time practice my English and so I was there knowing I was pregnant alone and I uh, couldn't reach out to anyone didn't feel I could tell anyone and um, I thought oh well, I'm just going to stay there and uh, raise that child by myself but then I went no I can't do that you know uh, that child needs a family and still came back home um, in September it was in France the school year started in September and told my parents and of course it was uh, a devastation in the family their reaction really was horrible it's like someone died in a family you know and I have to mention that my family was quite prominent in the town because my grandfather was the mayor of the town so you know you have that stigma oh my gosh you know the effect on the family the shame you know the, the all this and um, that was the first time I went to a gynecologist and um, and saw the the baby on the screen and the gynecologist's reaction was oh here is a uh, name of a uh, someone who can abort the child if you're interested and because I was too far advanced to do it legally in France, I was sent to England and I was there and I went there by myself. Um, someone reception me there, someone that my parents knew and um, we didn't tell anyone in the family at first. I didn't want anyone to know and then came back and then start the school year like nothing happened. And But that's not true. You know, I was absolutely devastated because I did not want to kill that child. But I did it because I felt it was the best for the family. You know, I was completely dead inside. I was a zombie. I didn't want to go to school. My parents made me tell the family because you can't keep that as a secret. And um, the reaction I got from some of the members of the family, which took that quite lightly, 
and it hurt me even more because for me it was a huge thing and I considered myself a murderer for many years. You're listening to The Story. Today, Karen Hunt is chatting with Corinne Peregrini, who's sharing her story of growing up in a loving family, yet by the time she started high school, she wanted to end her own life. We'll learn how she eventually finds the true love and acceptance she has always been looking for when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're continuing with Corinne Peregrini sharing her story with Karen Hunt. Before the break, we heard about Corinne's early life living with her family in France and how sadly she went off to England by herself to face the abortion of her baby. Now we'll find out what happened next in her life. Corinne, tell us about the dream you had not much later. When I did my diploma in hospitality, I realised, after all, I'm not that stupid and I could pursue a, a higher degree in hospitality which will then allow, give me the key to go to university. And I thought, I loved music, you know, I played the flute. And uh, I thought, great, I'm going to do that diploma, which is going to give me that key so I can then go to music university. So that was, that was my dream, you know. Um, but then I got pregnant and the abortion and, and that all went out the door. I just did not want to leave anymore. And I was only leaving for my parents. They had to basically drag me to school. And I said to them, look, I can't, I can't do it anymore. And they said, all right, well, we'll give you until, you know, February. And then if you still feel that way, then we'll support the decision. And at that point, you know, I turned 17 and then um, I left school and um, went working in a music shop without being paid. But it was a bit of a, a therapy, you know, so I wouldn't just be left doing nothing. And then um, I started working with my parents. I mean, I was working with my parents since age 12, but I started working with them and they would pay me. And so I started saving money. And, and from an early age, all I wanted is to get out of, of there, to, you know, just to travel. And um, as time went by, I realized it's because I needed to find myself. I needed to be out of that environment to be able to find out who I really was. So, Corinne, you wanted to leave France. You really wanted to just get away from everything. And at the age of 17, you've told me that you spread your wings and you went to the US of A. Yes, absolutely. I um, went and uh, to San Francisco. Uh, stayed there for two and a half uh, months with the family and um, absolutely loved it. Came back, worked with my parents and I would work enough to make enough money so I could go back and traveling. So I did that um, for a few years until um, I met my daughter's father in America while I was traveling and um, fell, you know, completely over here for him. I thought, you know, believed in love at first sight and all this stuff, that fairy tale <laughs> make you believe us when you grow up. Um, hardly, we hardly knew each other. You know, it was, it was not love. It was mostly lust, I think. Um, but, you know, I, I suppose they were love, some kind of love. And uh, we traveled and then I came back again. And then um, that was in 1992. And then 
he was still in America so I, I worked enough went back there for another two to three months and then we came back together and then traveled you know in Europe and then I got pregnant at the age of 21 and I was overjoyed as you can imagine and my English was very poor and I thought he was from Austria <laughs> <laughs> but then I found out he was from Australia and I went, where is that? <laughs> Absolutely had no idea, never was interested in the Southern Hemisphere. My focus was always in Europe and America, so I soon found out what it was. But, you know, I was young, I was in love, I was pregnant. And um, so we, we did everything. Um, we decided where we're going to live. And so, you know, in um, December 1992, I landed in Australia. And where did you come to? Uh, Brisbane. They lived on the south side of Brisbane, his family, and um, married to three weeks later. And I felt like I was a guest at my own wedding. <laughs> Hardly knew anyone or English. All I knew is I had to say, I do. <laughs> So I did. I said I do. And look, you know, I was I was happy. I was um, blinded by love, as you are, you know. And um, a whole new life, new horizons yeah, awaited. Yeah. And that never scared me, you know. Uh, but you know, it's it's hard when two people hardly know each other and have the difficulty of the language as well as the culture, as well as dif- extreme different upbringing. So there were very many challenges. Corinne, you mentioned earlier about your great grandmother a lady of faith. In your mind, where was God in this picture in your life at this stage? Well, he wasn't. (laughs) I didn't know him. Even when I used to go to church, it was not really a personal relationship. It was very religious tradition, you know. So I didn't know him, never on the Bible, nothing. Um, So yeah, no, he, he he wasn't there. What was life like then as a new young family? Um, well, challenging, you know, um, finding, I mean, I was uh, very blessed, you know, he was working and, um, and I didn't want to work because I wanted to be with my daughter. Plus, I didn't have a, a visa yet. I think I couldn't work yet. I mean, the culture was different and um, we lived um, on the Sunshine Beach. So it was very quiet, very hard to meet people. We didn't have a car, so there was challenge there. And then when my daughter, were, our daughter was born, um, after about four months, uh, I really wanted to go and present her to the family back home. So we went back there and um, ended up staying for a year and a half instead of a month. <laughs> and your husband went too? Yes, he did, yes. I have to say, I was never good at getting the best out of, of men, you know. I was one of those people that draw the worst out of them. <laughs> so when we came back to Australia, when uh, my daughter was uh, probably about two and a half, um, 1996, we, we separated. It was my decision. Um, and that was uh, extremely hard because I come from a very close-bonded family, no divorce, nothing. So... Um, it's not, you know, you don't marry thinking you're going to divorce. Um, but I just, I was, I was, I just couldn't take it anymore. The marriage lasted about three years, and then very hard because I was in Australia on my own. Um, my English was was still very poor, um, and I didn't know anyone. But then, you know, I, I didn't learn, so I had to do it again, and I remarried. <laughs> I remarried, and and that one lasted four months. <laughs> So that was it was a bit of a, of, of, of domestic violence, and um, my daughter at the time was five, and I went, "What's going on?" You know, I'm not even 28 yet, and uh, two marriages, and then uh, two divorce eventually, um, and that's when I really 
started searching for God again and I started searching for the meaning of life and realized, okay, what's wrong with me, you know? There is something wrong with me. So I was able in my own strength, always, you know, new age and all different stuff, you know, I would uh, educate myself, psychology book and all that. And I was able to get rid of, you know, the alcohol and the drugs and the cigarettes. And But I, I had a hard time getting rid of um, promiscuity, you know, because... Um, That's where I felt I was loved. It's when I was in, you know, the arm of a man, I suppose. And in my search for true love and the meaning of life, you know, I tried all the different spirituality in the world, Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, disciple of a yogi, Hare Krishna, Jehovah Witness, you name it. <laughs> wow, that's a whole heap. The last uh, one was uh, Jehovah Witness. And um, they told me, you know, just pray, just pray and ask God to lead you. And I'm glad they uh, told me this because God led me out of them. And then I took a break for a couple of years. I was a bit confused. And then eventually God led me to a, um, a church, a Christian church in um, the north side of Brisbane. And that's when I finally find my true love. And uh, that, that was the, one of the most amazing time because I realized, yes, there is a God. And yes, he loved me. And I wasn't at that since then. I haven't had the need to, to search for love elsewhere. You finally connected with your Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. What difference has that made in your life since then? It made a, you know, I found, I found perfect love. And when I found Jesus for me, it was like, finally, I, I finally arrived. You know, I'm finally home. That's it. My search is done. And I used to say to my daughter, you, you were my saviour before I met Jesus. And so that you can take that responsibility off you now. Jesus is my saviour. <laughs> and isn't it interesting that, as you told me earlier, she was actually 12 years of age when that happened for you, yes. when you think of what happened to you as a 12-year-old. I know, I know. It's, it's, you know, God works in a miraculous way and he works in a way we don't understand at times. But now, you know, after being a Christian for nine years, looking back, I can see all the pieces of the puzzle and uh, Everywhere where God has, you know, um, you know, used all the situation to to draw me to Him, you know, as I was searching for Him, um, it hasn't been a smooth ride as a Christian, you know, because um, God doesn't promise us a smooth ride, but He promises that we'll come out of it victorious, and um, it's been a tremendous blessing, especially this year. I've had. Uh, Amazing, amazing, amazing things happen in my life. Uh, What's been a highlight? Well, the highlight is, um, as a Christian, I fell into depression. I didn't think that it would happen again. It was a few years since it happened, but I fell into severe depression last year for about eight to nine months. I was planning my suicide, uh, finding a health insurance that would, uh, life insurance that would cover suicide. Actually, you know, uh, I had financial debt and that's what kept me alive because I didn't want to leave a burden to my daughter. It was a very awful time for her and, and I. And on the 13th of October, 2013, God spiritually really um, drove me to this little congregation in Redcliffe and um, I was completely healed supernaturally in Jesus' name. And believe it or not, Karen, three weeks after that, I got healed from cancerous cell in my cervix as well. And, you know, Karen, if I can say... If anyone is listening and is going through despair and, and severe depression, I know 
you can't see any way out and, and you don't even care when you're there. But I can say, you, you don't know. Cry out to God, you know. I just cry out to God. That's the only prayer I cry out. I just I, I shout out to God in my car and I cry out, Lord, you do something or this is it for me, you know. And, and with whole your being, cry out to God and ask Him to save you. Ask Him, you know, do something, you know. I can't take this anymore. And the best prayer and the, the best prayer we can pray is help me, Jesus. And He will hear you, you know. Well, honey, keep looking to the one who matters mm. most. Corinne Peregrini, thanks so much for your time. God bless you. No, thank you for giving me the opportunity and I pray and hope that people that will hear this might be changed, you know, that they will find Jesus. Thanks, Corinne. Bye-bye. Amen. Thank you. That was Karen Hunt chatting with Corinne Peregrini, who shared her story of sadness in her early years and having a sense of worthlessness to the point of contemplating suicide. As we heard, Corinne grew up looking for love and thought she had found it in several relationships, the last of which brought her here to Australia. However, she finally found the true love she has always been searching for when she put her faith in Jesus. It was at that point that she knew she had found, in her words, perfect love. Well, if you're searching, as Corinne was, and would like to pray with someone, our prayer line is 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's one 800 772 936 and we would love to pray with you on that number 1-800-772-936 you too can find true acceptance and true peace through faith in jesus well thanks for joining us for corinne's story i'm jimmy colfax encouraging you to share your story with someone today the story just another way vision is connecting faith to life